Hey everybody, welcome to the Outpost Community Church Podcast. My name's Addison, I'm on staff here as the youth pastor. We are currently going through the book of Matthew, and so we hope you enjoy listening and have a wonderful week of worship. Good? All right, good. Glad you guys are here. Hey, let me give you guys uh, uh, just a couple of notes. Hey, so um, I know attending a, a church, which, you know, at Outpost, I try to constantly change that language. You don't want to go to church. You either are the church or you're not. And so wherever you go, the church goes because you're the church. Church is a people. It's not a place. And so, but I know that walking into a building with the church and attending a building, it's just, it's a big room. There's a lot of different people. You don't know everybody. And um, here's the thing, in the faith, in the Christian faith, being the church, it's, it's not something you do alone, okay? So if somebody discipled you and taught you that it, it's just you and Jesus and that's all you need, okay, they lied to you, all right? They need to read their Bible and then they'll come back to you and say, I'm sorry, I should have said that. Um, because you're meant to walk together with other people. That's the beautiful thing about this is when we're here together, it's encouraging, it lifts us up, it's nice to meet people, it's also really awkward and weird because some of these people are very weird, Okay? Me being chief among them, all right? But so what we've done here at Outpost is, number one, we have membership here at Outpost. Membership is tied to community. You can't be in community unless you're a member. If that freaks you out, have a conversation with me. I'll send you a podcast, and we can have a conversation. But that's something we want to do. We want every member here who submits to the leadership of these elders and this theology according to this word to go, hey, we know who we are, okay? And Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey your leaders for they're keeping watch over your soul, Right? As ones who have to give an account, how do they know who they're going to give an account for if they don't take count? Does that make sense? Okay, so that's what we do here. Now, at some other churches, they don't do that, and that's okay. Uh, we're not saying that we're better or, 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 or worse than anybody. That's not the point. The point I'm trying to make here is this. We want every person who wants to follow Jesus to have other followers of Jesus they can walk with and they can run with. Now, if you decide you want to do that with outposts, I mean, great. We'd love to have a conversation with you. If you don't want to, we go, hey, great. Good to know you. We love you. It doesn't change how we feel about you. It's just it sounds like, you know, right now that's not what you want to do. And we get that. So here's the thing. If you're still looking to meet people, though, and get to know folks, and you want to get connected, maybe find some people who want to follow Jesus, or maybe you're like, hey, I just still am exploring this whole thing in general. I just want you all to know that community formation, which happens on the second and fourth Thursday of every month, uh, is a great place for you to come and hang. All right, it's an amazing, it's led by some really wonderful people here at Outpost who are members. And these members just basically want to facilitate you guys getting to know each other, all right? And we have round tables, we eat dinner together, there's some curriculum to kind of guide the conversation so it doesn't go into a lull. You could, you could shift tables every time you come just to meet people and connect. And then over a period of time, maybe you can find some people you can run with who can love you, care about you, and walk out the rest of the one another's in Scripture. So I just want you all to know that's what community formation is for. Going from like, hey, I just attended this place to becoming members and running with all these people, that's a huge jump. That's like a big commitment. And so community formation is sort of this land in between where you can go, ah, let me check it out. Let me feel this out. You guys with me on that? I just wanted to provide a little bit more clarity about what that is. Meets here. It's from 6 to 7.30. Got that right? Dinner's already provided. If you have children, we're not going to help you with those. We are. 
I'm not going to help you with those, but they are. And that's pretty amazing. So don't miss that opportunity. Hey, glad you guys are here. Listen, let's take a moment. It's, uh, you've had a week. You're probably going into a week. You probably haven't just like taken a breath in a while. So just sit for a minute, close your eyes, pray. Let's just open up our hearts by just going, all right, Lord, whatever you have for me today, I want to hear, I want to see your word. Let's just do that, okay? Just take a moment. Father, hallowed be your name. God, we pray your kingdom would come first in our individual lives. And uh, God, we pray your will would be done in us. We're here together today. Um, you knew that every single person who's here today would be here today. So you intentionally want to do something. So I pray you would open up our hearts, open up our minds. I pray, God, we would hear you today. Not some preacher. They would hear your word. We would hear you. Stir up in us something that needs to be stirred. Awaken something in us that needs to be awakened and help us see who you really are and how you really feel about us today. God, I pray if there's repentance, if there's confession that needs to happen, God, that there would be some courage to do it. God, if there's some joy and some singing and worship that needs to happen today, God, that it would come out of us with, with sincerity. And God, if there's just some communion and some fellowship and some mercy and peace and grace, God, I pray you give us what we need. We know because your scripture says so. God, that you can do far more abundantly than we can ever ask or even imagine. So God, you be God this morning. This is about you. We love you. And uh, my, may my service right now just be an act of worship for you, God. Amen. All right, why don't you guys go to Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. Uh, why don't you get there, stand up and we'll read this together, okay? Let's see who's fastest. All right, sword drill, a few winners. Or you just stood up. All right, that's great. Love it. All right, Matthew chapter 12. I'm going to read this. We're going to read from 1 to 21. Uh, so take your index finger, follow along. Uh, and uh, this is the word of the Lord. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it, it was not lawful for him to eat, nor were those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had not known, what, uh, if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would, have, uh, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on a Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. 
Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched out, stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. This is the word of the Lord. Have a seat. I know some of you guys are thinking, we're never going to get out of here. That was a lot of verses. All right. Um, any of you ever been stuck in a ditch before? Your car and stuck in a ditch. Got stuck in anywhere. When we first moved here, okay, we moved from North Carolina in 2014. We moved here. And uh, in 2014, we had this uh, van, Silver Bullet. It's out there. It's beautiful Honda, 289,000 miles. God bless Honda. And uh, we were driving back from Billings, and it was really late. It must have been around 11 o'clock at night, right? It wasn't pretty late. And it's wide out, blizzardy. You know what I'm talking about? And so we took that road that goes, like, when you come from Billings, where you go through Powell rather than going straight over the hard mountain. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, okay. So we're driving. It's pitch black. We've got snow going everywhere. I'm, like, white-knuckling it. And as we're driving, Bonnie goes, is that a car? And down to the right, this long embankment ditch, ditch that goes down, there are were lights down there. So I pull over, okay, and I get out, and I run over, and I'm running down to this car. And as I'm running, eventually it gets to where I'm in thigh-deep snow, okay? So I get down there, and the lights, you can see the lights are on inside of this car, right? But it's completely fogged out. And so I go down in there, and this car is clearly stuck. I, I'm realizing as I get to it, I am not, my minivan is not getting this thing out. <laughs> so I get down there, but I just to see if anybody's, I knock on the window, and a guy rolls the window down, and he's sitting there. He's all bundled up, big beard, and he's got a book on his steering wheel. And he's just sitting there reading a book. And I was like, hey, man, are you all right? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Uh, and I was like, well, I don't think I can get you out. And he goes, oh, it's okay. He's like, I got a tow truck coming. And I was like, really? Does he know where you're at? Like, how is he going to find you? He goes, well, that's kind of funny. He goes, actually... I was actually in the ditch on the other side of the road, and he pulled me out, but I got so confused at which way I was pointing that I drove straight into this side of the ditch. <laughs> and that's when I said, well, good luck, man. And I ran back, <laughs> ran back to my car, got in the van, Bonnie remembers this. I get in the car, and she goes, well, like, what's going on? I was like, I can't help that guy. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Well, listen, I tell you guys that one, because it's funny, but two, because there are two major ditches that we can have in this church, and we have a tendency to run from one to the other, over and over and over. And those two ditches are legalism and licentiousness. Legalism, as you come to a church, might be something you're already nervous about just being here, okay? Uh, I remember when I first started attending a church in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, it, on, the, on the sign it said, the exciting, and this is like in the plastic, not like they put it in the marquee, like they actually like believed this, okay? The exciting Midway Baptist Church, 
Let me just say, it was anything but exciting. And I remember coming to this place, okay, I just got kicked out of military school. I am not a Christian. I don't know much about anything. And I, one day, I don't know why, but I was dancing down the hallway. Okay, some of you know what's about to happen. And as I was dancing down the hallway, I ran into the pastor's wife, who immediately called out my sin. We do not dance in the church. Anybody, anybody grew up in a church like this? You are not allowed to dance. And I went, oh man, I had, I had no idea, right? Turns out you can't dance, right? Can't wear a hat, certainly can't wear blue jeans. You don't raise your hand unless you have a question, okay? Right, you can't have drums in the church. Anybody grow up in something similar to this? Anybody in the room? Raise your hand, it's okay. You can raise your hand, it's all right. I'll give you permission, I know. You can do it, great, awesome. Some of you are pointing at this church right here. Okay, I got you. I got you. They don't mean outposts. They mean, you know, Grace Baptist back in the day. I got you. Okay. Um, what's the problem with all this is when you grow up in these churches is if you uh, start reading your Bible, which turns out a lot of them don't, but if you start reading your Bible, you'll come across David dancing. And you're like, hold up a second. Man's dancing with like no underwear on. He's just wearing like this like linen ephod, like totally inappropriate. He's dancing, and he's dancing not for a bad reason. He's dancing because, like, the Ark of the Covenant is coming back into the middle of the people. He's, he's dancing for a really good reason. God is here with us. So he's just dancing, right? And then you hear that he wrote songs, and he's like, get the cymbals, man, clashing cymbals. You're like, so why can't we have drums again? And then you find out that nobody in the Bible wore blue jeans or ball caps. They didn't even hear about these things. You know, I think if they would have known, they would have wore some Wranglers, right? Probably not. I don't even like wearing Wranglers. But the problem is you start to go read the Bible and you find out that none of it's in there. None of this stuff is actually in there. Where does it come from? It comes from men. It's man-made rules about what you can and can't do. Can't wear a hat, can't wear jeans, can't have drums. And... Here's the thing that makes it really legalistic. What makes it legalistic is, listen, some of these rules came from good places. Not all of them. Some of them did. But, you know, there's some, some around respect and what's, like, what's acceptable within a culture. That's not wrong, okay? It's okay. But what happens is these started to get really elevated to what felt like the Ten Commandments. And so who you were as a person, you were judged by whether or not you did or did not do these things. That's legalism. And what I mean by judge is, we considered you a good or bad person based on whether or not you wore a hat in a church. People would come into a church and if they saw the drum set, they would turn around and go, listen, that's just a, a her heretical church. It's just not true. And so it's hurt a lot of people in the process. But here's the thing. The opposite of this, of legalism, is also dangerous. Licentiousness, just as legalism can create a barrier between a person and Jesus as well as prevent you from really realizing the purpose of the church, so does licentiousness. Licentiousness is permission giving. It's giving license to things that God does not give you license to. All right? This too is unwise because Jesus, the way of Jesus still has boundaries to it. It still has boundaries to it. And the right, righteousness and sin, sin are still realities with present and eternal consequences, okay? Not only does licentiousness give permission where God does not, it also, you know what you know, licentiousness does or giving license, it also diminishes 
the awe and the glory and the wonder of who God is. There's a lot of people coming into churches and they're coming in so flippantly. And this is what some of, you know, the older crowd is trying to say. They're going, hey, listen, you seem flippant as you come into the presence of God. Have you forgotten who you're coming to worship? It's just like, but it's the feeling and he loves me and oh, right? That's what they look like. It's my generation, (laughs) right? It's like, have you forgotten who God is? He's not somebody that you just... Ah, well. So legalism and licentiousness are two ditches on either side of a pathway, okay? And one lays up burdens that God does not require. The other one gives freedoms that the Lord does not give, and both of them lead to death. They destroy people. They really hurt people. But these are not just problems that we have in the church, okay? Legalism and licentiousness are things that are tearing apart our culture right now. They're absolutely tearing apart our culture. Let me take them in reverse, okay? Uh, license, there, there is a segment of our culture that's trying to give license in a lot of different areas in our culture, and it's destroying people. They want to give license around sexuality, drug use, abortion, assisted suicide, euthanasia. And it's creating a culture of death right in front of us. It is destroying people. But they're like, but freedom and license are more important than the results of what they're going to chase. And so... It's just confusing upside down. But then, so is legalism. Legalism is in this culture. You know what's crazy? People go, I don't want to go to church because it's legalistic. I go, uh, have you ever seen the culture? It's like some of the most wild and insane legalism I've ever seen in my life. The things that you, are, you have to say now to be accepted in this society. Think about that. That's legalism. The things that you are not allowed to say anymore. Some good, but some they go, that's ridiculous. That's legalism. Man, if you check the business culture, right, all the podcasters, all the influencers in the business culture are constantly saying, man, man, work hard, play hard. you got to grind, man. You work 60 hours a week now so that you can live and be retired for the rest of your life. You better, 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 better. you got to do all these things so that you can be accepted in the business culture. Like, you better grind, right? And it's killing guys. It's destroying families. I don't even, I mean, we can go into politics, but I'm not going to go there. But politics is also a place of extreme legalism, right? And it's destroying and tearing us apart. So these two things don't just affect the church. They affect all of us, okay? It's really important that we see this. So whether it's the you-do-you culture or the work hard, play hard, the church and the culture are struggling to navigate what God meant by the good life. And the good life is not in the ditch of legalism, and it's not in the ditch of licentiousness. It's somewhere between the two. And it's a hard road to navigate, and we're all missing it. And today, I think we need this message in Matthew chapter 12, because we really need to see how do we walk in the good way with God. What's going to set our mindset in the right place where we can respect God's code, but to understand God's love and freedom and grace and mercy, combine the two, and then walk in God's good way, where we can have a real, robust, and beautiful relationship with God. Anybody down for that? Listen, I think it's the reason that many people here in Outpost have really just started to fall in love with, like, the works of John Mark Comer and some of the spiritual disciplines books. And John Tyson, all these guys, right? We, we're loving this, like talking about the pathway and the apprenticing with Jesus. Anybody, anybody read anything about John Mark Homer in this room at all? Okay, it's like all over the place in here. All right, my whole community had like, between Jay, Jonathan Pakluda and John Mark Homer, I'm like, 
guys, I'm right here. Like, tell me that I've had an impact on your life as well, okay? Um, it's just a joke. They always come and say, hey, my favorite pastor told me this. And they're like, but we like you too, Greg. I'm like, whatever. How many times is Celeste here? Celeste Dana Miller texts me JP messages more than anybody in the world. And I'm like, Celeste, can you just like text me one of my own messages? Like, like you know, I'm just, I'm just kidding. That's just a joke, guys. I don't, I don't. She listens to mine. Well, she's not here today. Where is she? Yeah, whatever. She's probably at home listening to JP right now. So what, that's really what's going on. Sorry, guys. My, my mic is kind of crazy. All right, I'm getting distracted. I'm getting distracted. Okay, here's the point, guys. We're attracted to these things because I think there is a, a growing sense in all of us that, like, hey, whatever this churchianity thing that we've been doing, it's not working. And whatever this freedom craziness that we're now, the younger generation do the church, we're going, that's not it either. Where is it? And Jesus is about to tell us about it. So let's dive into this. Okay, we're going to, here's going to be the main point, I think, of this passage. It's this. I think this will be on the screen so you guys can take a picture, write this down. It says this, Jesus doesn't tear down the law, but rather restores and fulfills it because he is the Lord of the law. Jesus does not tear down the law. He restores it and he fulfills it. Now, we're going to find this by looking at three questions today. All right, here are the questions that we're going to ask, okay? Who's in charge here? What's the Sabbath for? And why does Jesus withdraw? Okay? Who's in charge here? Let's start there. Let me read uh, verses 1 and 2 again to you, just because it's been a minute. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Oh, actually, you know what? Let me do, not do that yet. Let me set some context. Let me set some context. Okay, forgive me. Uh, where are we at in Israel right now in the life and ministry of Jesus? So right now, he's in Galilee. A lot of this is, uh, has happened is in Galilee. Galilee is this kind of region... Um, very kind of similar to Cody, guys. It's like this area. It's got a lot of small little towns. It's around a big major lake. So there's a lot of small villages, you know, fishing markets, little synagogues, and uh, little Roman hubs with soldiers who are making sure everybody's doing what the Roman world wants them to do. Uh, in chapter 11, which we finished last week, okay, in chapter 11, we, we saw a whole bunch of responses to the ministry of Jesus. And what we saw was it's a lot of confusion. Everybody's confused about who he is and what he's doing. Even Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, the one who baptized Jesus, the one who went, behold, the Lamb of God, even he got confused. He's like, Jesus, are you the one or is there somebody else we're waiting for? Okay, so there's just a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. And then last week, if you were here, the point of that message was this. Chapter 11 ends this way with this point that Jesus is himself. Jesus, not all, just all of his teaching and what you're doing, Jesus is the pathway to true inner rest for those who humbly depend on him. He is the pathway to inner rest. Now, it's really important that you remember this as we go into chapter 12, because what's going to happen is chapter 11 is about confusion, and now it's going to move on to confrontation. The confusion about who Jesus is now to an attack on who Jesus is. So that's what we're moving into. And what he's going to be attacked, who he's going to be attacked by is the religious leaders. Now, you guys are familiar with the Pharisees, right? Okay. The Pharisees were actually a really good religious sect that was trying to restore the uh, obedience to the law of God. Israel was going kind of crazy and nuts. They came in to kind of restore it. It kind of grew up. But what happened was their focus on the law eventually became legalism. 
and these guys are about to go head-to-head with Jesus. Who you guys think is going to win? All right, here we go. Jesus is about to smack these bros. All right, here we go. At that time, Jesus, this is verse 1. At that time, I'm still a millennial, y'all, so just give me a break, all right? You, you knew what you signed up for when you came here. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. So what's happening is they're going to church like all of you guys did, all right? I'm, they didn't call it church. They called it synagogue. They're on their way. They're walking. And Jesus and his disciples are hungry, and they're hungry, so they, uh, uh, they start to pluck grain off of somebody else's field. That's actually a mercy law in the Old Testament that the poor and the hungry, they were allowed to by hand pluck from a field. And then what they were doing is they're taking it, they're rubbing it together, getting all the husks off, and they were eating the grain to eat. So they're on their way. Well, while they're on their way, they're walking, not driving. But when they're on their way, okay, so are the pastors and elders. And they see these guys doing this, and they go, hey, you can't do that. Right? That's not lawful. And then it leaves this confrontation outside of the church. It's like we're out in the parking lot and you and me are arguing. Okay? And so this is what happens. Now, what's the Sabbath law? Let me read to you. So if you don't know this, write down Exodus 20, 8 through 11. That's where it is. So if you're in this passage, right next to it, write Exodus 20. Okay? This is where the Ten Commandments. The Sabbath law is a, is a commandment of the Ten Commandments. And it says this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Listen, on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock, which I'm like, what? And your sojourner who is with you at your gates. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the law. It's one of the commandments. So that's what it says. Now, what was of hot debate among religious leaders, legitimate hot debate, was what does God mean by work? Don't do any work. What did God mean by that? And so what happened was they began to discuss this, the religious leaders. This is what we, you know, theologians do. We sit around and discuss, what does God mean by this? And so what they did was they developed 32 sub-rules to the rule of do no work. They came up with some ideas. Here's what we mean, okay? Let me give you three. Tell me how you feel about these. Here's three of the 32. Uh, You can't write two letters. Yes, somebody invested uh, the little time they have in their life to write that down. You cannot write two letters, and you cannot erase to write two letters. Interesting. Uh, you can't take something from one domain to another domain, okay? You can't, like, pick up the toys and go put them back in the box, okay? Uh, you can't walk more than a half mile. Listen, I know you, some of you are going to be like, but they didn't do miles back then. I get it. It's just for you. You cannot walk more than a half mile. So they're like, man, like, how far do I walk? So they would literally set up stones or things in the distance so you know, I can't go past here. Okay, imagine 32 of these rules. Is that a day of rest or is that a day of like, oh gosh, which, like, like, what did I, oh, how many letters did I write down? Oh my goodness. Do you see that? And so what this ended up doing, instead of being a day of Sabbath means stop, I encourage you, go to three summers ago our messages and listen to the message I taught on Sabbath. Um, It'll be really helpful for you to understand what it means. But Sabbath literally means to stop. It's a time of rest, okay, for people to connect with God and connect with each other. 
That's not a time of rest. If like every single thing you're doing, you're questioning, did I break the Sabbath law? It laid burden upon burden on these people. And so what happens now is they're saying, hey, you can't rub that grain together. You cannot eat it. And so Jesus is now going to answer with two analogies. Okay? These are really important. Analogy number one. Look at verse three. And he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Now he says, have you not read... It's not Jesus being a jerk. Hey, didn't you read? It's not being a jerk. He knows they've read this story. All right? He knows they've read it. The problem is they didn't see the example of mercy that it presented to us. The problem is not that they, you know, whether or not they read it. And so we're going to go into this idea of mercy. But first thing I want to show you guys is this. Uh, church, listen to me. Jesus always counsels us biblically. Isn't it great that when Jesus wants to go answer a question, he goes back to the scriptures to answer the question. That's so important for us to hear as a church because legalism and licentiousness are always byproducts of feelings-based counseling rather than biblical counseling. You can't have drums. According to who? I mean, me. It's like, okay, well, I don't care what you think. Okay? Here's what I would say. I see people come and go here at Apples all the time, and they'll say things like, well, I feel like... Or I don't feel like, and I go, hey, listen, God's not telling you to check your feelings at the door. He's just telling you to hold them open-handedly and ask him what he wants you to do. It's not based on your feelings. It's based on what God has said. Church, if you want your life to go so much better, if you want this church that it's not mine, it's, it's, it's ours, if you want it to grow up into what God wants it to be, you want to see a beautiful life and flourishing, then stop telling people what you feel they should do and start going back to what Scripture says to do. So Jesus doesn't do battle with the Pharisees' feelings. He goes, hey, guys, uh, have you read this? Now, the problem is they miss it. So here we go. The story is from 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6. David, he's fleeing from Saul. He's going. He comes to a place called Nob, and he's really hungry. He, he and his men, he says, hey, do you have anything to eat? And he goes, all I got is the bread of the presence, you know, for you guys. And we know it's the Sabbath, not because in 1 Samuel it says that, because they replace the bread of the presence on the Sabbath day. So they're getting rid of the old bread, and they go, yeah, David, you could have this. And they give it to David so he could eat, because he's on a mission, he has a need, and he has authority. So the implication is that the priests were right in providing for David. They didn't break any laws. They're guiltless. We're going to see that here in a little bit. So here's point number one. David's authority, David's mission, David's need means it's okay for the priest to provide for David. That's point number one. It's a point of authority. Now, here's analogy number two. This one is nuts. Look at this, verse five. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Again, he says, have you not read? This is, again, as an example, that we should not just use Scripture to instruct one another, but we should use Scripture to interpret Scripture. I mean, how often do people go, but, but John Piper said, or John Mark Comer said, or Jonathan Bakluda said, or Greg said. It's like, listen, but what does the Bible say? And what does the Bible say about what the Bible says? You tracking with me? Am I losing you? I'm giving you gold here, okay? JP can't keep up with this. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm working things out. All right. Community is going to bring it up. They're like, hey, man, we need to talk about this. Like, it seems like you got some pride. Okay. All right. What he's saying is two things. First, the priests have a job to do in the temple that God gave them, and that job does not end on the Sabbath. 
They still have to do that job on the Sabbath day, yet they're not breaking the Sabbath rules by doing it. He goes, guys, aren't you missing this? You made up 32 rules. Can't you see that if God is calling you to do something on the Sabbath, it's not breaking the Sabbath rules? And so it's a simple point. And then he goes into the second thing. And in my notes, I put the emoji where the, it's like head exploding, mind-blowing. Something greater than the temple is here. So again, Jesus is appealing to authority. Because listen, the temple is the center of worship for the Jews. It is the house of God. But also for a group of people. Is this on the screen? It's also, listen, it's a symbol of nationhood for a group of people who've lost their nation. They've lost their lands to the Romans. So the temple is kind of everything. And he's going, listen, I'm greater than the temple. Now that means a lot of things that I've taught about and will teach about. But today, the focus I want you to, to uh, the thing I want you to see is this. Jesus is calling out his divine authority. I am a greater king than David. I have a higher mission than the priests. I am greater than the temple. The only one who can say that is God. And so this is radical. It's absolutely radical. He is the king. So Jesus is the authority of Sabbath law. So point that's point 1A. He is the authority. He's like, I get to tell you why the Sabbath exists. I get to tell you how the law should be interpreted. I get to do that because I'm greater than all these things. They only exist because Jesus exists. Y'all hear that? Does that seem significant to you? Probably not. Let me show you. Here goes point 1B. Point 1B is this. There's an underlying issue to the pharisaical mindset of reading the law. He says it in verse 7. Go to verse 7. Look, this is like the centerpiece of this entire passage. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What does that mean? We're going to spend most of the rest of our time right here on this verse. All right? What does this mean? On a high level, it means that the Pharisees have been reading the law through the wrong lens and therefore coming to the wrong conclusion. They've been reading the law the wrong way the whole time. The Pharisees desire to see what the people, they desire to see the people obey God, which is a good desire, isn't it? My desire is to see you guys obey what God's called you to do. Is that a good desire? Yes. But as many of us do, this overfocus on obedience to the law spilled over into the ditch of legalism, which is a bad outcome. Good desire, bad outcome. Why is it a bad outcome? Because it misses the whole point of the law. The same can be said of the opposite. Those who give license to people's feelings and desires, they do so desiring to see people walk in freedom. Good desire, but this overfocus on freedom often spills over into the ditch of licentiousness. Bad outcome. Good desire, want people to have freedom, bad outcome, they become slaves to their addictions and their ideas and their feelings. Why is this a bad outcome? Because it misses the point of the law. Legalism and licentiousness completely miss the point. So what is the point of the law? Well, that's Jesus' point. You can't understand the Bible, the law, without first understanding that God is merciful. 
okay, let me go. Listen, yeah, I got one okay. We should have been like, hallelujahs. You cannot understand the Bible, friends, until you understand the character of God. Once you understand the character of God, then you can understand the law. It's revolutionary. This rocked my world this past week. God is merciful. You know why God is merciful? God is merciful because he loves us. Ephesians 2 tells us that mercy is generated out of God's love for us. But God shows his, right, but God being rich in mercy because of what? The great love with which he loves us. When he says, I desire mercy, it's because God is merciful. God is loving. Listen, if you understand that God is merciful, then you can understand the true interpretation of the law and be kept from legalism and licentiousness. You see, God is not focused on legal code and he's not focused on freedom. He's focused on loving you. He loves you, church. The God who created heaven and earth, the reason you have breath, the reason you have hair, the reason why you have a heartbeat, the reason you can, you can just be here today, Jesus loves you. That's what he's focused on. He loves you. And that's what motivated him giving you the law. And loving you means showing you the boundary lines and showing you the open fields in between. That is what motivates God. Listen, God's love and his mercy towards you are the foundation of the law. Go flip over to Matthew 22. Everybody go over to Matthew 22. Don't just read it on the screen. Flip over to 22. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to read this to you guys. A really, really important passage. You've got to understand this. Students, you guys are going to lead the way here in about 10 years. If you know this, we're going to have to get out of your way because you're going to really pioneer with the kingdom of God. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. What does that mean, guys? It means every rule in the Bible is all about loving God and loving each other. And what Jesus is saying is the whole reason you have the law is because God loves you. He absolutely loves you. Man, I, I, I had this confusing idea growing up into this church, into the church, that God is trying to hold me back from fun. Anybody? He's just trying to rip us off. God's not trying to rip you off. He's trying to set you free. He's trying to set you free. But the only way you can really understand true freedom is you have to understand that he gave you the law because he loves you. Because he loves you. That's the whole point. The point is that the law is a merciful gift to humanity, instructing us in the good way so that we can have communion with God. What a gift. And listen, few things show this quite like the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a weird law. It's just a totally weird law. I totally get don't kill each other. Anybody get that one? I totally get don't lie to each other. But one where it's like, hey, just stop for a day. Don't work. Relax. Breathe. Eat some food. Have some good wine. Spend time with your friends. 
hey, listen, worship me. Let's have some time together. Hey, listen, you don't have to rule the world. You don't have to keep things together. You don't have to keep your company afloat. Listen, I'll take care of everything. Just rest and be with me. What a weird law, right? What a weird, who benefits from this law? You do. So what a great example to fight over and to teach this lesson that God's going, I gave you this law as a mercy, friend. It's a mercy. What a gift. This is not some like legal code, you better do this, you better not write these letters, you better not walk half a mile, you better not blah, 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 blah. It's not all these things. It's a 52-day-a-year vacation with the Lord to rest. You're not in charge. Just be. Be present. And he gave it to us because he loves us. What a, what an amazing thing. It's super cool. And so he gave it to us, and he gave it to us because he wants to give us mercy. He wants to show us mercy. So Jesus isn't giving permission to his disciples where God doesn't give permission. I think many people misread this statement here. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Uh, they, they misinterpret it to mean that Jesus is giving them permission to bend or break the law. That's what I'm saying. He does not remove the law. He's showing the full purpose of it. God, it, it, so I've, I've literally heard people use this as justification for divorce. Justification for so many things that I go, buddy, that's just sin. You're still not listening to what Jesus said. You're thinking that Jesus is giving you license to do whatever you want because he goes, well, it would just be merciful. You don't know how bad I have it. Or blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's not what he's saying. He gave you all the law because it's a mercy to you, to protect you, to care for you. Church, do you hear what I'm saying? All right. All right, come on. This is the purpose. All right? So Jesus doesn't tear down the law, but rather he restores it and he fulfills it. Does Jesus have the authority to do that? Yeah, he does. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Daniel chapter 7 talks about the Son of the Man. I've talked about this a whole bunch. You've been around here. If not, go back and listen to the messages. They're great. Uh, But what it's saying is Jesus has this divine, all-powerful authority. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of the law. And listen, if if Jesus is the, the authority of the Sabbath and of the law, then he's the authority over your soul and over your life. He's in charge. You want your life to go well? Submit to the merciful, loving Jesus who's going to tell you what to do, not because he's trying to abuse you or rip you off, because he loves you and wants to set you free. And all those who walk with Jesus are going to do the same thing. Listen, you you do not want to be a part of a church where they're never going to address sin. Get away from there. Because before you know it, Somebody was going to try to destroy you, and they're not going to be held accountable because it's full of people. You want to be in an environment where people love you enough to tell you, okay, but are also aware of God's mercy and grace in the gospel enough to go, hey, but I want you to know God will forgive you. They understand the boundaries because they understand the character of God. You guys hear me? Oh, man, I love this. So the main point is Jesus doesn't tear down the law, but rather restores and fulfills it because he is the Lord of the law. Thank you, Jesus. Now, why should we trust Jesus? Well, he proves his authority. Let's go to verse 9. So like I said, we spent a lot of time there, and I'm going to wrap it up here at the end in a little bit. I don't have my watch. What time is it? Somebody give me time. Oh, my goodness. We're like, we're just in it. Come on. So 
Let's go to his authority. Look what he does next. So they're walking and he has this comment. And the whole point is like, guys, you've missed the whole point of the law. You don't even understand how to interpret it because you think it's just about obedience. And I'm trying to love you and show you mercy. And I have the right to tell you that and say these things like I'm higher than the temple. I have the right to do that. And before you pick up stones to kill me, let's just go ahead and go to the synagogue real quick. So they go into the synagogue, and he went on from there and entered their synagogue. And the man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, is it lawful? They asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So they might accuse him. So this is not like a curiosity question. This is like I'm trying to trap you type thing, okay? They don't have Jesus' best interest in mind, and they really don't want to know. Okay? But look what Jesus says. And he said to them, which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on his Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. Now that just seems like obvious wisdom, but this is actually, listen, this is actually documented discussion in Hebrew literature of the time. They spent time trying to figure out whether or not you were allowed to pull your sheep out of a pit. They did. They sat around and talked about it. You know what the, the initial conclusion they came to was, no, you can't do it. And then they progressed over time, and it, literally, this is what the Mishnah says. They go, well, you can slide a ramp in there, and if it climbs out on its own, then it's okay. <laughs> I'm not lying to you. And then they went on to go, well, you can, if it doesn't climb out, you can drop some food down in there to keep it alive, and then you can get it out the next day. And then listen, by Jesus' day, eventually they went, okay, you know what? You can pull it out. And so Jesus goes, guys, if you can come to that conclusion with a sheep, why not with a man? Legalism dehumanizes people. Licentiousness dehumanizes people. Licentiousness has led our culture to believe that a fetus is not a human being. It dehumanizes. And so Jesus says this, verse 12, of how much more value is a man than a sheep? And here's the point. What's the Sabbath? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So he condemns them according to their own wisdom. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. Not a, that's not a work. Just see Jesus with his arms crossed going, stretch out your hand. And it says the man's hand was withered, not his arm. And so the man in faith puts his hand out and it's restored. We didn't see any work happen. Jesus just said something and there it was. Now look how insane legalists are, he says. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Men care more about sheep than they care about human beings. They have missed the point. Church, I pray that we would not be a group of people who are so caught up on law that we forget mercy. Who are not so that we completely misread what Jesus is saying in the scriptures, what the New Testament and Old Testament are called to teach us, because we're so focused on obedience. But also, I, I just hope that you guys are not so caught up in your feelings that we read the Bible and we're just looking for what we can get out of it for ourselves and just apply those things we like. Both are evil and wrong. God's going, I gave this to you because I love you guys. Stop valuing sheep over people. So he, Jesus' healing right here approves his, or proves his authority to do it, but it also proves the blindness of the Pharisees. So let's go on. Now, Jesus is now going to pull away from these people. And I think this is really important. It throws me off. Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there 
And many followed him, and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. He withdrew. He pulled away, got away from these guys. They want to destroy me? I'm going to back out. When I saw that at first, I was like, what? You're Jesus. Like, beat him up. Call down fire. Right? Like, in these guys. Proverbs 18.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Jesus, you're a lion. Why are you, why are you withdrawing? What Jesus is doing is going, listen, I don't waste my time with men who are blind. Spirit. I'm going to move on to heal people's physical blindness so they might be able to see God truly. Listen, all the time. I, I, God, this is what's teaching me. Let me tell you what it's teaching me. It's teaching me it's sometimes it's a waste of time and sit there with a person and just sit there and try to argue with them and show them the truth and reveal it to them and spend a lot of time when they really just don't want to hear it. There's somebody else, maybe their neighbor who wants to hear it, and there's times where you just got to go, on. And you think that's unchristian. I don't think it is. I think Jesus does that. He goes, I, I'm moving on. I don't have a lot of time here. I've got other people I need to care for. And he goes and heals many. And he tells them, don't go tell anybody. And the reason why Jesus does that, guys, so you know for the rest of the time when you read the Bible, is Jesus has more things to do before it's time for him to go to the cross. Now, when it comes time to really get after it, Jesus gets after it. And he doesn't back down. But he knows that when it's time for him to not back down, that's the time that's going to lead to him laying his life down for us. So he just goes, I got more ministry to do. Paul says the same thing. He's like, man, I'd, I'd rather go be with the Lord. But if God's got me here, he's got more things for me to do, so I'm going to keep on working. And if I only have three years left or 30 years left, I'm going to try to give them all to the kingdom of God. And I'm not going to waste my time on people who don't really want to hear it. I'm going to pray for you, but I'm going to move on. And I'm starting to learn that I need to practice that more often. It's hard to discern, though. I'm going to be really honest with you guys. And I don't have an answer for you on that one, okay? So come back in 15 years and see what kind of man I am then, and we'll figure that out together, okay? So he's aware of the opposition. But check this out. This is what it says next. And this is so great, and you need to hear this. Uh, this, he says this, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Fulfill what? What was this? This is his withdrawing to heal people and care for people, as well as his withdrawal from the religious leaders. And then it says, behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with, which, with whom my soul is well pleased. Who is God pleased with? Jesus. Not the Pharisees. He says, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the who? Not the Jews. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Amen. Guys, what he's saying is, listen, you pharisaical legalists, those people you thought were not allowed in your synagogue, those are the ones I'm saving. Those of you guys are like, hey, you cannot wear that hat in here. God's saving the kids who are wearing the hats. Those of you thought that a, a prostitute can't come into church, he's saving the prostitutes. Those of you thought it was like this business guy who cares more about him than anybody else in his business, he'll run over anybody. Jesus is saving that guy. He's saving the millennials. He's saving Gen Z. He's saving the TikTokers. He's saving, God, he's doing things in the United States right now with the people you least expect. So if you're a legalist and you think it's only the good people can come here, I just want you to know Jesus is not here with you. He's out there with them. And he's seeking them. And he's saying, those people you rejected, they're going to be singing my praises because I'm going to rescue them. And for those of you who are coming in here and you thought, man, like Jesus is going to judge you and all these kind of things, well, he is, but you need to understand 
Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not here to break you. I'm not here to snuff you out. If there's something in you, I want to bring you to life. I care about you deeply. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Jesus is not a slave master. The law is not to beat you down. It's to set you free. And the king behind the law loves you. He has mercy towards you. So what does this mean for us, church? All right. This is what it means. It means this. Jesus did not come to erase all the rules. He came to clarify what they're really about. What are they really about? About mercy and love. Not permission giving, not saying, hey, this law doesn't matter, you know, I'll just be gracious to you. He's saying, hey, this really, it's a mercy that I gave you, this law. That's the mercy. And so what does it mean for us? Here's my prayer. My prayer is that we as a church would be a people who speak up about the truth. Because it's not loving to tell children to go play in busy streets. You know, it's, it's loving to hold back and go, hey, this is not good for us. But we just have to do it with a heart that loves people. So my prayer is that Outpost Community Church would be a place where we love each other enough to speak the word of God to one another so that we might protect one another. Not out of judgment, out of love and mercy with Jesus. My also, my hope is that we would become a church who also knows that we are sinners, each one of us individually. So as we approach one another, we do it with humility and grace, willing to say it, but dressing ourselves with humility and saying it for Jesus to them, connecting them to Christ and his grace and forgiveness. Here's the problem I see here. The problem I see here most, most often is you're not willing to tell each other the truth because you're too much of a permission giver. And so what's happened is the church has spilled off into fecklessness, or just meaningless, nothing to be impressed with, nothing to be excited about, because none of you guys will address it in yourself or go to your friends and go, hey, brother, can I just tell you this is not good for you? I love you enough. i got to address this with you. We have to do that with one another. Okay? We've got to do that with one another. But we also need to cut off all that legalism of those extra rules that we make up and we bring in all of your feelings-based ideas. you got to get rid of them, guys. I feel like we should be in rows. I feel like they're, you know, it should be, you know, modern worship songs or hymns or I feel like we shouldn't wear jeans or I feel like we, we still have those here. You need to assess whether or not those are of the Lord or they're just made up in you. You hear me? All right. What happens when we do that? Okay. Um, Here's what happens. All right, I told you earlier, this is where the rant begins, okay? So this is what I'm going to say. Greg's about to rant. If you've never been here before, uh, I don't have my watch. I'm about to do it. Here we go. Here's my rant. Would you guys say there's a difference between rec center fitness and CrossFit? Okay, where are my CrossFitters at? Let's get a little louder. Come on, why are you being ashamed? You're always talking to us about it everywhere we go, right? The answer is... Yes, okay? There's one group of people who say and claim that they produce the fittest people on the planet. You know who it is? Not the elliptical riders, the CrossFitters. Here's the thing I want to tell you guys, okay? There's a difference between the rec center and CrossFit. I used to go to CrossFit, I'm now at the rec center. I know, shame on me, okay? And here's, what, here's the difference, okay? The difference is CrossFit does produce fitter people than a rec center or a bro gym or whatever. There's just a difference. Now, I'm not saying they're better people. But here's kind of the result. 
They do a wide variety of exercises. They push themselves really hard. They work really hard. They also work in class environments where they work as a community together, okay, to achieve this. And it produces results that the world has never seen before, where people can run miles faster than uh, we've ever seen and also lift more weight. So you can run really fast over long distances and lift a ton of weight. It's like bodybuilders meet endurance athletes. It's, the fr- it's freakish. It's absolutely freakish. And if you don't agree with me, you're just flat out wrong. It's freakish. Okay? But here's the thing. Listen to me. Here's the difference I see. When I go into CrossFit, everybody knows my name. Everybody knows my name. When I come into that class, I have a coach who oversees my life. Okay? And they have permission to instruct me and tell me when I'm wrong. I have been stopped in the middle of a workout because somebody cared about me enough that they didn't want me to get hurt. So they said, hey, brother, can I just tell you the way you're doing this is going to hurt you. Let's stop. Let's address this. It's the middle of the workout. I paid to work out. But they said, no, you paid for instruction to how to become healthy and fit. And we don't want you to be not coming for three weeks because you hurt yourself. So they have freedom to tell me the truth. And so they would instruct me and tell me the truth. They cared about me. Okay? And what that did would le- led to longevity. It led to me becoming fitter than I ever became. And it did a lot of things in my life. The other thing is I had a community of people who knew my name. So when I came in, I was welcomed. We would talk together. We would stretch together. We'd do this workout together. And it really built a lot of relationship with me and those people. But now, I go to the rec center. The rec center is insanely individualistic. You come in, you put your headphones in, and I do, listen, I do sometimes. I pray that nobody will talk to me. And listen, a lot of you, this is the difference between the church I want to be a part of and the church I don't want to be a part of. A lot of you have gone to churches where you just come in, you sit down, shut up, pay up, and go about your business. You paid your fee, you threw a fiver or a 20 in into the plate, and you moved on, and you hoped nobody bothered you or addressed any of your problems. Now, I remember when I was going to CrossFit, and I would go to the rec center, and I would do something, and I'd see somebody doing something that i go, you shouldn't do that. And when I was a CrossFitter, I'd walk up and I was like, hey, man, can I just, can I talk to you real quick? Like, like you shouldn't do it. Like, can, you mind if I give you some little bit of instruction on how to do this? Like, that, you're going to hurt yourself. And they'd be like, yeah, man, I would love that. I never had somebody go, who do you think you are? Are you a CrossFitter? Oh, yeah, that's why. <laughs> and they went, they were like, yeah, can you tell me? Like, all right, can, let me just show you a couple things, right? Can, like, this is, you know, do this, do that, blah, blah, blah. And they go, oh, man, that's so great. Thank you so much. You know what I do now? No joke. Yesterday, I was at the rec center, I'm on the bench, I look at somebody doing squats, and I went, oh, God, they're going to hurt themselves. And they were teaching their wife how to do it, and I was like, he's going to hurt her too. You know what I did? I clicked play on my phones, and I was just like, all right, I'm going to go about my business. And I did. I put it on the rack, I pulled the plates off, I walked out, and I went, I should have said something. Nah. And I kept on going. Here's what I would say. Okay, so now here's where I'm going to cross it over. You need a church that's like CrossFit, not like the rec center. I do not want to be that. So criticize me in this church all you want. I'm not going to privately say that this is the fittest church I've ever seen, but I tell you there's a fitness here that I've seen that I've never seen before. So I just contradicted myself. And the reason is, is there's a group of people in this room who said, I want somebody to tell me when I'm not doing this right. I want somebody who loves me enough to, to call me when I don't show up to the gym, to check in on me, to care for me. That's what I want in my life. I don't want a gym where I, or a church where I just walk in, I can sit down, shut up, and go about my business. And I feel a little bit better. I did a little bit of workout, but I don't really have a people to run with. 
come on, shame on us. That's not what the church is supposed to be. That's never what the Bible says it's supposed to be. It's a, a place where Ephesians 4 says where we build one another up to love and good deeds, to become like Jesus. That's what we're called to be. But we have to be careful. And here's another thing I think CrossFit does really, really well. Outside of building incredible community, bringing about great fitness and coaching, the other thing it does well is it scales well. It scales well. And here's where I think we need growth at Outpost. When you come into the, and come into the listen, I know it sounds like I'm giving an apologetic on CrossFit, but just stick with me. <laughs> listen, this is what the Bible's saying. This is what Jesus is trying to say here. Listen, you come in and you're called to do this workout. And you're going to look at this board, and, and I love this. They're going to put a workout up on the board and go, hey, guys, this is what we're doing. Okay? We're going to do this. We're all going to do this together. Everybody goes, okay, great. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes what's on that board, I go, I can't do that. I can't lift that much weight. I can't do that. I can't do that pull-up or I can't do that thing. And you know what the coaches do? They go, great. Instead of this, I'd like you to do this. They go, okay, I can do that. And it's not compromising the law. It's going, I understand you're not where Greg is. You're where you are. So how about this? Instead of reading five chapters a day, could you just read a chapter? Hey, I understand you're maybe not ready to confess all of your sins to one another and pray for them. But hey, man, can you start being authentic with some things you're struggling with right now? It just basically says, hey, I'm going to meet you where you're at, but we're still going to do this workout together. Church, that's what it's about. So I want this to be a place. I want us to become a people where, hey, wherever you're at, that's okay. But we're still going to work towards becoming like Jesus. Let's go. Amen? Let's go, man.